Morning, everyone. This is new for you, isn't it? And congratulations, everybody. We've um, reached session seven in our series, the final one, on the churches of Revelation, Laodicea. And uh, I just want to start by, by doing the reading. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, it's from Revelation chapter 3. And we're beginning to read at verse 14. Revelation 3, starting at verse 14. And Jesus says to us through John, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. But because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I just love the book of Revelation. It, <laughs> oh, no, honestly, look, if I was shipwrecked and I was allowed one book to take with me, I think I'd take Revelation. Or maybe a book about Revelation. Is, it, is anybody else here an avid reader? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, do you read when you go to bed at night? Doesn't matter what time you go. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Have you ever got partway through a story and you can't wait to, to, to hear what... Have you turned to the back chapter? Is <laughs> 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 there only me does that? Find out how it ends. Well, Revelation is a little bit like that. It's like turning to the last chapter. And uh, spoiler alert here, everybody, spoiler alert... We win. We win. Yeah. 
But look, I, I do understand why some people struggle with revelation. I, I do. If I were to say to you, the old lady next door was donkey stoning her steps yesterday, put your hand up if you'd understand what I was talking about. All oh, right. With, with respect, uh, some of the more mature people. Maybe it's, maybe it's a Yorkshire thing or a Lancashire thing. Um, but I can remember my grandmother on her hands and knees at her doorstep, scrubbing away. And when she got them perfectly clean, she had this white piece of rock and she made a mark, a white mark around each of the steps up to the house. And the white rock was embossed with a donkey symbol. And so the process of doing that became known as donkey stoning. And it was, it, it was a matter of pride to them. And it symbolised that their homes weren't just clean on the inside, they were even clean on the outside. I suppose these ladies were a bit like the original Kim and Aggie. <laughs> you won't understand that. <laughs> but this was in the 1940s and 50s, wasn't it, that this used to go on. My bet is if I went into any of the youth groups this morning, the children's groups, and talked about donkey stoning, they'd look at me as though I'd gone out. That's why I understand when people struggle with the language of revelation. But let me tell you, if you'd been living there at the time in one of those seven churches, and you'd been living in their circumstances, then you would have been in no doubt whatsoever what Jesus was saying to you. So come on, let's transport ourselves back to Laodicea in 96 AD. Has anybody ever been there, by the way? Yeah. Pamukkale. Okay, Pamukkale. Yeah, quite close. It's a bit like saying Dordans in Tamworth. Pamukkale, Laodicea. Yeah, okay. Althea and I went, ooh, quite a number of years ago now, didn't we? Um, that's Pamukkale. Okay. In Turkish, that's where it is now, it's in Turkey. And in Turkish it translates as Cotton Castle, Pamukkale. And it's famous for these thermal pools. Uh, Mineral-rich water flows down one of its hillside and it forms these cups as it goes down. And these cups fill up with this warm water. And I understand now you're not allowed to go in there. Did you? Yeah, we did as well. You used to be able to go and bathe in these, in these huge cups uh, down the side of Pamukkale. The... The motto of the city of Laodicea was, I have need of nothing. That was their motto. I have need of nothing. And it was famous, really, for three things. Firstly, it was famous for banking. It was the Threadneedle Street of the Roman Empire. 
Um, they were extremely rich people, the Laodiceans. There was once uh, a time in Jerusalem where the Jews were suffering really badly and they appealed to the Laodiceans for assistance. And the Laodiceans sent them 22 and a half pounds of solid gold. It's about 400,000 pounds. And when an earthquake all but destroyed the city of Laodicea, along with Philadelphia and Sardis in AD 60, Rome actually offered them assistance to rebuild the city. But they proudly declined and rebuilt it from their own resources. I have need of nothing. The second thing they were famous for was a special breed of sheep they had in that area who were kept on the outskirts of the city. It was special because it produced a really glossy wool coat. And from this wool, they made a material and it was famous throughout the known world. It was exported throughout the whole of the Roman Empire. And the Laodiceans, in fact, were among the best dressed people in the whole of the Roman Empire. The clothes they produced were exported worldwide. I have need of nothing. And thirdly, the Laodiceans had a famous medical school. And they developed this eye salve. It, it was claimed to cure failing eyesight. Anybody else could do with that? Um, I wish they were still producing it. But again, it was known empire-wide for this medical marvel. I have need of nothing. The city had no need of anyone else. They were proud and they were haughty and felt they could resolve any problems themselves. Actually, the only thing they lacked was a natural water supply. And that was brought in to them from miles away by stone aqueducts. Unfortunately, by the time it reached Laodicea, the water had lost all its freshness. It had actually become tasteless. Laodicea was one of what they called the Tri-Cities. There was Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. Hierapolis to the north was known for its hot healing waters. People who were ill used to go there and bathe in these hot healing waters, a bit like Harrogate Spa, I suppose, or Bath, but warmer. Colossi to the south was on the river, and that had lovely, cool, refreshing water. But in the middle, Laodicea, with those calcium carbonate encrusted waters, lukewarm and putrid. 
They weren't merely tasteless like their drinking water, but positively nauseating. Unsuspecting tourists would go there and they'd sip some of this water from these pools and they'd spit it out or, or sometimes even vomit. Okay. Have you learned something about Laodicea today? Good. So let's go back to see what Jesus says to them through John. When I was 26, I was promoted to sergeant in the police force. Yay. And uh, they sent me first on a two-week newly promoted sergeant's course. I can't remember much about what they taught me, but the one thing I do remember was that if I had to bring an officer into my office to give him a blinking telling off, uh, then I, I should first think about something complimentary to say to him before I started on the criticism. You know what? I think Jesus had been sent on a newly promoted sergeant's course. Because if you look at all the other six churches that we've been through, he did that with them, but not with Laodicea. There is no, there's no preface of praise here. So first of all, let's look at how he describes himself. Do you remember, to the other churches, he introduces himself by, by what he does or what he has. Remember? He says, I'm the one who holds the seven stars. Or the one who has the two-edged sword. Yeah? But to Laodicea, for the first time, he names himself. I am the Amen. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. You see, to us nowadays, Amen, Amen's just something we say at the end of prayers, don't we? Somebody prays and we go, Amen. But I've got to tell you, our experience of 17 years working in Israel, in Hebrew, it means so much more than that. We should actually be saying it with emphasis, Amen! Yeah? In Hebrew, it emphasises that what's being said is utterly and absolutely valid and binding. It's absolutely trustworthy. It's a foundation to build on. It's the real thing. And that's what Jesus is telling them he is. He's the real thing. And he's reminding them, and he's reminding us as well, that creation has its origin and purpose in him. So you know, you better take notice of this. In his book, God on the Rook in the Dock, C.S. Lewis wrote, Jesus Christ produced mainly three effects. Hatred, terror, adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. 
And you know, that was the state of the church in Laodicea. Look, these people weren't some odd sect who'd gone wacko. Their beliefs were very orthodox and respectful. It's just that they have this mild approval for the one, the one who is the amen, the real thing. There's no zeal there. There's no passion left. So Jesus uses this metaphor of their geographical location. You're neither hot nor cold, he says, like the water in the two other cities at either side of them. You're lukewarm, just like your nauseating water. And the Greek word he uses here in verse 16 is actually stronger than spit. It actually reads, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. His message to them and to us is clear, isn't it? Jesus finds lukewarm Christians nauseating. You see, look, if I were to stand here this morning and say to you, do you know you like Tamworth Healing Church? You make me sick. Well, yeah, you see, you'd laugh because it wouldn't matter, would it? Who cares what Dave Howell thinks? But think about this. If it was Pastor Steve who was stood here this morning and he said, you know, you lot make me sick, and he actually meant it, that would be cause for a bit of concern, wouldn't it? And it'd be disturbing. But I'll tell you what. If Jesus was stood here this morning and he was saying that to us, that we made him sick. How would we be feeling? But that's exactly what is happening in the church in Laodicea, in this passage from Revelation before us today. You know, if, if we truly believe that we possess the greatest news imaginable, the most wonderful message of all time, then it should be news we'd be wanting to share with other people, really, shouldn't it? And clearly, the Laodiceans had compromised their faith to their comfortable culture, and they become lukewarm. Lukewarmness is a natural consequence of compromise. Say that again. Lukewarmness is a natural consequence of compromise. They were figuratively speaking, drinking in the city's water. They were simply going along with the culture of the day and... I'll tell you what, I wrote this, but I'm feeling uncomfortable about that because that's me. I don't know about any of you out there. Look, I've no doubt they were going along to church every week. They were singing their hymns. They were reading their scriptures. They were listening to sermons. They were praying for health and wealth. And it's my guess they were probably fellowshipping afterwards over tea and coffee. And then they were going back out into the world and they were continuing their self-sufficient lives just like their neighbours. And the tragedy is, the tragedy is that they were boasting about it. 
in verse 17, Jesus says to them, You say, I am rich. I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Remember their motto for the city? Places like Laodicea and the United Kingdom and the United States are the hardest places to be followers of Jesus because it is possible for us to be self-sufficient. St. Augustine said, The saying, I have everything, is a terrible saying when everything does not include the living God. So Jesus tells them in verse 17, You do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wretched? Miserable, poor, he's saying this to some of the richest citizens in the empire. But he's saying you might have pounds in the bank, but you're bankrupt spiritually and you're poor in soul. He says blind. And this is to the proud inventors of the iSolve, world famous but you're not seeing yourselves as you really are. Naked. This to the people whose sense of fashion impressed the whole world. That's like me going and telling Dame Vivian Westwood that she looks stupid in her own clothes that she's designed. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the best uh, example, but you get there. But God wasn't impressed. He tells them they're wretched and pitiable. It's in the nature of lukewarmness that we're unaware that we are lukewarm. <coughs> so Jesus challenges them. Like he, oh, fabulous. His words are stern, but he's not angry. In verse 19, he says to them, Those whom I love, whom I love, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. It's in his compassion he's doing this. And he tells them, buy from me, buy. Now he's, now he's talking in words that the Laodiceans understand they're deep into retail therapy and commerce. But what he's telling them to buy they can't get from Aldi and Lidl or even from Marks and Spencer in town. They have to come from him, from me, Jesus says. Gold refined in fire, white garments to cover your nakedness, eye salve to anoint your eyes so you can really see. What love he's got for them, hasn't he? And what grace. And then, we discover the root cause of lukewarmness. Excluding Jesus. Stephen touched on this last week, just at the end, but 
I always remember this painting by Holman Hunt hung on my parents' bedroom wall. Uh, not, not the original one, obviously. Um, of Jesus knocking on a closed door. And there's no knob on the outside. And Jesus is saying to them, I'm right here. I'm all you need. Let, let me in. I wonder how many evangelists at big rallies have used this passage to get people to make a commitment to him. But here, Jesus isn't speaking to people who he wants as new converts. He's speaking to people who are already Christians, or at least who, who thought they were. And you know he's speaking to you and to me today. He's saying, don't exclude me from your secular lives. Let me in. And remember the handles on the inside. He's not going to come and kick the door down like a copper on a drugs bust. <laughs> He's just quietly standing there, knocking and waiting for us to invite him in. When the Twin Towers came down in America, I'm a member of the Christian Police Association and I went to work out in New York at Ground Zero uh, with our NYPD colleagues. And I remember uh, Billy Graham's daughter, Anne, was being interviewed on uh, television over there uh, shortly afterwards. And the interviewer uh, asked why she thought God would allow such a tragedy to happen. And Anne Graham gave an extremely profound and insightful response. She said, I believe God is deeply saddened by this, just as we are. But for years, we've been telling God to get out of our schools, to get out of government, and to get out of our lives. And being the gentleman he is, I believe, He's calmly backed out. How then can we expect God to give us his blessing and protection if we demand he leaves us alone? And Jesus finishes with this magnificent promise. He says, he will come in and eat with us. And that little phrase there, it's so full of Middle Eastern imagery, uh, based on our 17 years working out there. In Israel, even today, when we're invited to eat with friends, there's an implication there that all that I have is yours for the taking. One of Jesus' favourite pastimes was eating with his friends. Yeah, I'd go for that. Out there, it's one of the closest bonding experiences you'll ever have. But it gets even better than that. If we compare verse 20 with Song of Songs, and you had no idea I was going to bring this up when you prayed that earlier. The voice of my beloved, he knocks at the door, open to me, my beloved. 
I don't know if any of you married couples out there can remember the first time you went out with your husband or wife when you were courting. Courting, that's an old-fashioned phrase, isn't it? Uh, But this is Jesus the groom courting us, his church, the bride. And he comes not just to sit at table with us, but he takes us right to the throne room of God. That's my Jesus. He's the real thing. Let's just pray. Let's give ourselves to God. Loving Heavenly Father, I've no idea where everybody in this room are in relation to you at the present moment. I know that some will have opened that door to you, Jesus, in the past, but maybe slowly, over time, they've excluded you again, and they're wondering why their lives are so empty and stale and dry right now. I want to thank you, Lord, for your wonderful promise here that if we turn that handle right now and welcome you back, that you will come in again. And for those here who've never heard your knock on that door, but may have heard it this morning, I pray that they too will turn that handle and let you in. It's like, Father, our lives are are the house we're inviting you into. We don't want to keep you just in the entrance hall. We want you to come in through every door inside our house, into every room, into the room that we call family. Come in. Into the room called finances and money. Jesus, come in. Into the room we call workplace. The room called sexuality. The room that is the past and the present and the future. The room of dreams and fears. Because deep down, Lord Jesus, we all know that letting you in is going to be the only cure for our nauseating lukewarmness. Amen?